from spooky legends past, down through generations, to haunted locations that hold a ghostly past. Come one, come all, come blinders and seekers, hear the creepy side of Eva. Welcome to the creepy side of NEPA. I am Dan Kozlowski. Before we get into tonight's episode, I'd just like to remind all of our listeners, please follow WNEP's Creepy Side of NEPA on Facebook. Also, subscribe to the Creepy Side of NEPA on YouTube. They're the best ways to get the latest show information. Joining us tonight for the first episode of our fall Halloween season is Matt Swain. Matt is author of Hondit Valley, The Ghost of Penn State. He joins us this evening talking a little bit about the creepy history of Penn State University. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on. It's a pleasure to have you, Matt. Every time, especially around now, around the fall time, I always look for more interesting guests to bring on the show because we do do a, a weekly show as opposed to our monthly show. And I came across your book online and it seems very interesting. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's actually kind of uh, a special time for me. I was born on Halloween. So that's really, uh, there's two things that that sort of um, drove me to write this, uh, maybe three things, actually. One is uh, I was born on Halloween. And the second thing is I was a journalist and I was always trying to write a really good Halloween story. And so I wanted to do some about uh, local legends of where I live, which is in Tyrone, Pennsylvania. And so from starting to investigate around that uh, for stories around that area, I came across a bunch on Penn State. And then, of course, uh, I work at Penn State. So I started to hear a lot of the legends and the stories around there. Yeah, I'm sure while working there, you have, I'm sure, employees or students all passed down legends and stories over the years. Absolutely. That's uh, the the part that fascinates me the most about um, these stories is they they are almost like modern mythology in that they teach lessons. Um, they tell us a little bit about the culture and the history. So what went from me really exploring uh, ghost stories and things like that for entertainment, I became more aware of just the power of how these things are are used to create this what would be an oral culture uh, in a in a transitory population of students. Students are always coming on and off campus and leaving and graduating and coming back for master's programs. And so this these ghost stories are are kind of a way to convey a lot of things about the values and histories of the institute. Sure, and I hope and I'm sure there has been a share of history and even a couple tragic stories on that property because it was there for so long. Yeah, right. So it's been there, you know, since uh, 1855, I guess it would be. And there, there are, you know, there are a lot of ghost stories. Um, some of them are based on real uh, happenings, and then others um, seem to be more based on, uh, the, you know, the students' vivid imagination and their ability to create these stories. So, I mean, for example, just to kind of contrast the two. Uh, at Petit Library back in, I think, the late 60s, early 70s, there was a, a actual murder on uh, in the library in an area called the Stacks. And I don't know whether your readers are familiar with uh, the Penn State Petit Library, but they have just 
rows and rows and rows of these um, bookshelves, you know, stacked the whole way almost to the ceiling. And it gives you almost, uh, I mean, it's hard to kind of, it's almost like a, a, a crypt or something that you're just, you know, can, it's a, it's kind of creepy, I guess is what I'm trying to say, especially if you're alone. Um, sure. You know, there was, there was a graduate student who was murdered in, in that area. She was stabbed to death. And then later, maybe a few years later, there was uh, started to be students who would complain of things like a cold chill. Um, they would just get the chills walking into certain areas. They would see things. And then there was even a case of uh, a student. Now, this would have been, I think, a high school student claiming that she saw uh, an apparition in that area. So that story is based on something that actually happened. But um I, I always like to call it the haunted quad, but it, it would really be the um, this area around the Petit Library that seems to have the most, the highest, the the largest amount of ghost stories and folklore around it. But if you walk down from Petit Library just a little bit, and the area is called Petit Mall, if you walk down uh, from the library a little bit, there's Old Botany, which is um, the oldest standing building on campus right now um okay. and it was one time used as a horticulture lab now there's a story there that uh that old botany is haunted by the ghost of george atherton's wife and george atherton was one of the uh i think he, he was one of the first uh presidents of penn state he was pivotal in the history of penn state sort of um, before him, the, the history is that the um, university was kind of teetering, and he brought us brought us back to life. I guess he died. His his grave is across the street from Old Botany, and there are students who claim that if you look up into the window, you'll see the ghost of Francis Atherton looking out on her husband's grave. Now, you know, the the rumor is that she's buried in the attic of Old Botany. I don't think that's true. No one's ever really proved that. But I think if you listen to those two stories, you do get sort of an idea of just how these real actual events blend with kind of uh, imaginary events, you know, vivid imagination, um, and, and things like that. So that that gives you an idea of some of the this, the spectrum of stories you get at, at uh, Penn State. Sure, and especially when the stories are traveled down throughout time, people add a little something special or they take a fact away or embellish another one, especially when it's handed down like that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You you brought that up. It's it reminds me of the you know the game of telephone where you whisper yep. facts in one person's ear and then throughout what what I found uh, about Penn State is uh, so sometimes when I'm writing these stories and they'll say oh you know that never happened it it, it didn't happen in Old Botany it happened outside in the Ghost Walk and I think what that what it is is there's just so many variations of this story the other thing I found. And just, you know, the kind of the history of how I wrote this, I started off with um, the ghost of Penn State, um, Haunted Valley, and then I moved into doing a book about all all the universities, as many as I could find. And what I found is another thing happens is rather than one story being told repeatedly, 
a lot of times what is happening is students are adding their own little details. Like they might not have an out and out paranormal experience, but, you know, they might have heard a book drop or they may have heard a strange noise. And so they add their own stories. And that's also another reason where you get this variation. It may not be one story repeated by many people. It might be many people reporting kind of on the same story. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying there. And especially it could be different locations or whatnot, just like you mentioned. Right. It sort of takes on a life of the, of its own, the story does. Mm-hmm. So when you're researching your stories on Penn State, what are some of the favorite stories that you came across, ones that really stuck with you? Well, <clears throat> I love the story of, and this is, pro, this is uh, pure folklore, but it's kind of a, a great story, um, and that's the ghost of Old Coley. And Old Coley was a uh, mule. I made the mistake once of calling uh, him a jackass in front of a person <laughs> that has a, a mule farm, which was a really bad mistake. But anyway, anyways, Old Coley was uh, one of the um, first purchases of the, the – back then it was a farmer school. And uh, the farm school bought this mule to help build what would be – the first of three old main buildings. And during its service, it became kind of a a mascot. Uh, We became, we were really close to being the uh, Nittany Mules rather than the Nittany Lions at one point. But the students grew so attached to Old Coley and their stories, not only of Old Coley working on the university, but one of the things the students had to do is they had to show service to the university by going out and working on neighboring farms. So they would take old Coley out and help some of the farmers around there. And so after old Coley passed away, they preserved old Coley's bones and old Coley was then, you know, displayed in various areas across the, the, the campus, uh, university park campus. And so um, as these, as this, these bones were displayed, all of a sudden you would have these ghost stories. At one point, uh, Old Coley was um, uh, placed in Watts Hall and you could hear the, the noise, you know, students would say they could hear the hooves clip-clopping down the hall late at night. And sometimes they would actually hear this, you know, hee-haw braying of a mule and there were other people, I don't know, maybe there was a, a good keg party that night, but there were other <laughs> students who said they actually saw the um, the ghost of old Coley walking down the halls of, of Watts Hall. And so as this uh, old Coley was passed around these different buildings, this other rumor kind of arose that uh, every time they would put this, these, the skeleton in a, in a house, in a building, there would be this uh, these ghost stories that would uh, uh, you know be circulating around it. So they were always trying to move it around. At one point, it was at uh, the dorm. Then it was in the library. Right now, it's at Hub, and there hasn't been many ghost stories there. So that's one of my favorite ghost stories about Penn State. And I think the reason I like it is so it tells you so much about the history of Penn State it becomes more than just a ghost story. You also learn a little bit about the values. So you can imagine a freshman arriving on campus and hearing these stories might get the idea, oh, well, we have this, you know, legacy of service and we have this, you know, legacy of it being an agricultural, you know, 
blue collar, you know, those are all embedded in the story. So I, I really like that one. Sure. And just listening to the story now, I never knew that they were thinking of having a mule as their mascot. I know. Uh, there, there's so many great stories around how they used to pull practical jokes. I think they used to put old Coley uh, in, in the buildings themselves. You know, the the headmaster would come home and there would be a, a mule in his room. There's all <laughs> kinds of, you know, stories like that. So it really is a, it's a, it's a really awesome story. Uh, you know, you tell these to a lot of people who really love paranormal and they, they don't think too much of it, but, but I think that's part of it. Sure. It's a story that can be passed down and it gives you a little bit of the history of that school, a little bit of the background, a little bit of yeah, what it's all abso- about. Absolutely. Now, as far as, you know, some, a lot of times people ask me, are there, you know, the, they understand the legends and they understand the folklore. Are there any, you know, ghost stories, you know, actual, actual people who've had paranormal experiences. So um, I, I mentioned earlier about the grave of George Atherton um, and it's right outside of Schwab theater. Now Schwab theater probably has the most documented uh, what you would, what most people would consider sort of paranormal events in, in, in which you know, as I define it, is someone who has an experience they can't explain, and they talk about it. And so there's been a couple documented cases. And one that I recall is that there was a worker there for, uh, I think they were staging a play, or they were putting on a musical, and there was a worker. And I think this this is probably from the 1970s. It was written about in a, in a magazine in um, the state college area. In any event, this person claimed to see a soldier that looked like, uh, you know, maybe someone in the revolutionary war era come across the stage and then disappear into the wall. And, you know, this person went on to talk about it and, and was interviewed by reporters. You know, that's what I would I would consider a ghost encounter. And so there have been other stories there about people hearing, um, you know, noises upstairs sounding like someone is walking up and down. They hear things rolling around. You know, who knows what those could be. But uh, and getting back to the. um one thing I like to do as a former reporter is I like to get as many sides in as possible. So I have skeptical voices and, and voices of believers. Uh, And the, the one that, um, you know, that I, the criticism of the one story I told you as well, you know, if Penn state's founded, you know, in the 1850s and there's no revolutionary war battlefields around, you know, why would there be a revolutionary war ghost? And so the counter to that was maybe it was an actor. So those those are some of my kind of favorite favorite stories that I like to 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 talk about. So how long have you been collecting these stories all based on the campus? Oof. Well, so I would say this goes back to I want to say like 1996 or so. Okay. Um, you know, and back in the day, and I'm going to you know, date myself here, but as a reporter, what I would do is wait for Halloween to come and then go on the AP wire and see if I could find ghost stories from around what started out as Penn State. Then I looked into Pitt. Um, 
then I looked at Notre Dame and, and went. And so this was really over years and I never really thought about doing anything with it. Um, I, I just sort of, I'm kind of a pack rat this way. But what I did know was that when I wrote the stories, anytime I wrote any of these ghost stories uh, for the paper, people just would, you know, crawl out of the woodwork to tell me their ghost stories. Um, so I felt like there was a, there felt like there was something there, like on a marketing side that people really enjoy these stories. So it's been a process of, you know, a few, a few decades, really. I definitely agree with you. When I started this podcast, I just thought it would be, I know I said this many different episodes, but I thought it would be like maybe a few weeks special right before Halloween. And that was three years ago and I never stopped. Once you start digging into these stories, they, they seem to just keep coming. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I built this, I, you know, I would have never, ever said, I had never planned this career, but I ended up at the, you know, until recently, probably about two years ago, I haven't written anything more about it, but you know, I, I wrote maybe six books, basically taking things that I already enjoy. Like I really enjoy the history of universities and I, you know, um, taking that. And then I did a book on haunted world war two and I did two books on haunted rock and roll where I would just take things. That I naturally like the history of, of rock and roll, I think is fascinating. And then I would just tie in this paranormal element. I, I think one thing that I should say, because I, I really keep, I, I really consider myself more of a, a open-minded skeptic. I'm skeptical, but you know, a good journalist wants to kind of stay distant from whether these stories are true or not. And my point has always been that I think people get hung up on whether these stories are true. And I get into why do we, why are they so important that we keep telling them? Why do we keep investigating them? So that's important. But one thing that I did notice is after I wrote this book, a lot of people, especially janitors, would come and tell me their ghost stories. And those people really truly believe that they have encountered something that they couldn't explain. Well, and in some cases, completely change their viewpoint on how they approach the supernatural or the paranormal, the spirit world, whatever you want to call it. So that, I think that's important to know that, the, you know, I, I tend to emphasize the legendary aspects of it, but there's also this, this kind of spiritual element to it. Sure. And I know there's two things that I've noticed since doing the show. The first thing that I noticed is everyone seems to have a story, even if they don't want to admit it, something creepy mm -hmm. seemed to happen to them. And the other thing is, even if that one creepy thing might not be paranormal to them it seems like it might be you uh, took the words right out of my mouth that's exactly it might how... be able to be explained yeah. but to them they're not sure or they don't know the explanation and it does feel paranormal now there is that percentage out there that it is actual paranormal and you can't explain it but there's that also that percentage of the person just they personally just can't explain it yeah, I, I kind of refer to that and have read other people who, who write about it far more eloquently, explain it as this this liminal area, you know, this this point where you're you're just not sure exactly what you're experiencing. And for sure, people have had those experiences uh, at Penn State and some of the other universities that I've I've uh, I've investigated. I think the other thing that fascinates me. Uh, to 
to sort of go along with the theme of what we're talking about here is that, you know, when the, the, the trajectory of a student's life usually is you leave your house and you go to the university to kind of get rid of all these superstitions, to embrace a more scientific outlook and a more materialistic outlook. Um, but, and so I find it so fascinating that these universities become these hotspots for supernatural, paranormal, whatever you want to call it, uh, thinking and stories and whatnot. And I think it's, uh, I, th I think that just goes to show the pervasiveness of, of these experiences. Now, do you think the paranormal stories, like, for instance, Penn State, like we were speaking of, do you think it's more because of the history of how long that school has been there? Or do you think it's more because of all the people passing through in a year, passing those stories down? Or even making a few legends up as the years go on? Well, I think it's I think there are a lot of possible explanations for why these stories are so popular. Um, you know, I could probably go into a whole lecture about it, um, but I will point out a couple things that I, and this may be anecdotal, it's certainly not, you know, a study or research that I did, but as I was writing this, these, especially the, the book about all these different ghost stories, um, I noticed that as I moved farther toward the West, there were less and less of these ghost stories. And so that kind of intrigued me. And so one of the things that I think might be behind it is just the era when um, these ghosts, when these universities were founded, especially in, um, you know, the Northeast and, uh, you know, the Ivy League schools and whatnot, and even the Southern schools. Uh, for instance, take Penn State, 1855, what happens, you know, five years, six years later, you have the start of the Civil War. Sure. You have massive amounts of death. You have uh, a horrible, uh, you know, uh, situation with slavery. And you have all of this, the the people are dealing with a lot of, of deep issues, uh, trauma, I would say. The whole country was full of trauma. And one thing that came out of that is the spiritualism movement. And, you know, this was a kind of a, a common acceptance that you can commune with the spirit. So the founding of these universities coincide with this new spiritual outlook. So that might have something to do with it. I think for me, the architecture is very, I don't want to say creepy, but very solemn and, and, um, and uh, grand. And, and it gives you almost like when you walk into a church, a certain feeling of spiritual connection. So maybe that has something to do with it. But to your point, I think it is also just all the creative minds coming in and out, uh, open minds, experiencing these things and and talking to each other and creating a culture where you can tell these stories. Yep. And as they're passed down, like we were saying earlier, people might add something or take a fact away. But something you notice with all the paranormal or ghost stories out there, they always seem to be steeped in some type of true history when you really dig mm -hmm. dig deep down deep. Yeah, that's that's for sure. There's there's always there there's and you can kind of tell this because in some of the cases, 
you have a building that looks really creepy, but doesn't really have any ghost stories around it. And then these other buildings, um, you know, you almost feel like something must have happened to trigger these different tales to be passed around about it. Yeah. And a lot of times it's the buildings you don't expect to be haunted. They're the ones that have the most stories. Right. Well, any other stories that sort of stuck with you before we wrap things up? Something else that you would like to share about your book? Oh, I, I don't, or even uh, one oh, of your other books you know, that sort of stuck with you and you like to share. Yeah, well, I will say that you know today we've talked mainly about um, Penn State campus uh, at University Park, but I should say that we have several campuses throughout the the state, and a lot of those have uh, ghost stories attached. I think Mount Alto has one, um, and it is, um, and I'm probably going to not get all the details right, but they have a, um, an iron master's house there that is haunted. And this was one of the cases where I actually talked to someone who decided to uh, go with a group of ghost hunters. And, and he told me he had numerous problems with his flashlight dying out in certain areas and then taking a few steps and it would re relight, you know, so there were, uh, I guess the whole, uh, Penn state, system is is haunted i guess you could say now when you were looking into the different campuses throughout the penn state system is there any one campus that seemed to have more stories surrounding it than others i i really think um mount alto was the one like now that i'm thinking about it uh sticks out as the ones that had the most uh ghost stories about it uh, and there was a murder on that campus as well, as if I recall, that goes back to the you know 1800s. In fact, I think the person who murdered this woman on that campus was the last person hanged um, in, in that county. Okay, just like I was mentioning earlier, all these paranormal stories have a little mm -hmm. bit of history in the background when you really right. dig down deep. Right. Well, Matt, I love speaking with you this evening. I'd like to thank you for joining us. Well, I really appreciate it, too. It's something I like to talk about, and I, and I hope your listeners get something out of it. And if anyone is interested in picking up one of your books, either the one on Penn State or the other ones you mentioned this evening, where would be the best place they could find them at? The best place is uh, either um, is on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Okay. Thank you very much, Matt. Once Thank again, you. thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to The Creepy Side of NEPA. Be sure to like, follow, or subscribe, depending on the podcast platform that you're listening to us on. As always, until next time, enjoy the creepy side of NEPA. This has been the creepy side of NEPA. If you have a spooky story that took place in northeastern or central Pennsylvania, send it to ghost at WNEP.com for your chance to share it on an upcoming episode. We're dying to hear from you. Ha 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 